God, we pray now that as we open up scripture for just a few moments, that you would lead us and guide us, that you would silence all of the distractions that are in our minds right now, and that you would just help us to focus on the word you have for us this morning. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. How's everyone doing? I feel like I haven't been here in weeks. I wasn't here last Saturday, so I am glad, glad to be back. So this morning we are continuing our current sermon series, and with its title is People's Choice. And if you're a guest of ours, if this is your first time or maybe your second time, about uh, maybe three months ago we put out a little survey asking our church members, um, tell us what you want us to preach about. Like ask us questions or comments or whatever it is. And so we are this church um, that, that kind of, there's some green lights that turn on and we instantly understand um, what that question is asking. But for those of you who don't, this is what I want to do this morning. Uh, I want to answer a few different questions. The first question I want to answer is, um, what do we mean when we use the word fundamentals? Um, who wrote them? Because there are them. What is their purpose? What do they do? And then the second part is, what is salvation and how do we get it? Because what the question is asking is, are the fundamentals important to salvation. So I'm going to give you the, the short, simple answer about what we mean when we say fundamentals. There is a book that is put out by the Seventh-day Adventist Church. It's an official book, and it's called The 28 Fundamental Beliefs. Seventh -day Adventist, it says what Seventh-day Adventist beliefs, but it's 28, in essence, paragraphs that take all of our Seventh-day Adventist theology, and they put them into paragraphs, and so there are 28 different um, beliefs or doctrines and paragraphs. And so that's the short answer. Every church has their own set of beliefs. Every church has their own set of doctrines. The Seventh-day Adventist Church has, what they have done is they have put this in a book. If you're tuning out because you're thinking, how boring is this? I promise you don't tune out. This will actually come together quite nicely um, in about minute 10. <laughs> So what I want to do is I want to read from a couple of, the, of, the, uh, a couple of sentences from the book so we kind of understand. Because there are some of you here who are Seventh-day Adventists but who aren't really familiar with this book. Or if you are, it's just sitting on a shelf maybe somewhere um, at home or somewhere here in the church and you've never actually picked it up. It's quite a thick book. Um, I don't know of anyone that has actually read it all the way through. So, okay, one person. Star on the chart. <laughs> So, let's get started. I want to fly through this first part because there's going to be a, it is a little bit of reading. Just bear with me, I promise you. I, I wouldn't put you through this if it wasn't important. So, here's what it says. Through the years, Seventh-day Adventists have been reluctant to formalize a creed in the usual sense of that term. However, from time to time, for practical purposes, we have found it necessary to summarize our beliefs in a structured, in an organized structure. Makes sense, Right? Well, here's what's important about this. It's important that it says that, they, that we have been reluctant to formalize a creed in its usual sense. We have not written this book to serve as a creed, a statement of beliefs in theological concreteness. Adventists have but one, that's supposed to say one creed, the Bible and the Bible alone. Amen. So here's what this is basically saying if you are our guest. The 28 fundamental beliefs um, is a systematic way of organizing in an, order, in an ordered fashion what the church believes as a whole, what the church has accepted to be true um, from Scripture. 
but it is not our creed. And you're going to see why that's important. Our only creed, and by creed we mean the, the statements, the beliefs by which you and I choose to live our life. So that's a creed. It's what do you accept as truth. And we have made it clear that the Seventh-day Adventist Church accepts only the word, um, only the Bible and the Bible alone as our authoritative way to live life. Amen? That's good. That's, it's important to understand that. Um, so that. And now I'm going to read to you a statement from J.N. Lungborough. 1861, in one of our Adventist publications, and this is what it says. The first step of apostasy is to set up or get up a creed. Now, the word apostasy is a, it's probably something you'll only ever hear in, in a church, but it's basically to turn away from a set of beliefs or to turn away from belief in God. So apostasy is to, to in essence, reject God. And so one of these um, giants of our Adventist faith, he says, the first step to apostasy is to set up a creed telling us what we shall believe. The second is to make that creed a test of fellowship. So in other words, if we have a creed, you have to accept everything that the creed says in order for you to be a part of what we call the fellowship or a part of the church or a a recognized member. Um, The third problem about a creed is to try members by that creed. So if we take these all of these teachings, if, if this were a creed, um, then as the pastor or any one of us, I suppose, I could have a checklist and, and go through your life and say, well, you're not following this, this, and this. So what Jay and Lumborough says is, no, we don't do that. You can't do that. And then the fourth reason why a creed is bad is that it would help us to denounce, wait, it denounce as heretics those who do not believe that creed. So in essence, if you don't believe all of these 28 fundamental beliefs, we are going to denounce you as a heretic. And then the natural conclusion to that is that it would commence persecution against such people. So one of the pillars, one of the leaders in our church, he says, we don't have a creed except the Bible. And even then it doesn't function like a typical creed because we believe in grace and and we know that no one will ever live up to any standards that anybody sets. So if you're following along with me, the 28 fundamental beliefs are an organized way for the Seventh-day Adventist Church to set up our beliefs, 28 paragraphs, 28 different beliefs. But it is not a creed. We don't use it as a test of fellowship. We don't use it by which we measure how good of an Adventist you are or how bad of an Adventist you are. We don't have that list, okay? We don't do that because we are not going to to check off this list of all the things you don't do and then call you a heretic because you don't accept fundamental number 11 or fundamental 16 or fundamental number 3. We don't do that. And it's important for us to understand because um, this is a topic that is of conversation that it seems always in the Seventh-day Adventist Church. So the 28 fundamental beliefs are our belief system, but they are not a creed. Further from the, from the preface and introduction of this book. Finally, we have written this book recognizing that Christ-centered doctrine performs three obvious functions. First, it edifies the church. Second, it preserves the truth. And third, it communicates the gospel in all its richness. So what the Adventist church has tried to do is to have these 28 fundamental beliefs all center around the person and the work of Jesus, which is Jesus bestowing grace upon grace upon you so that you would have life and life everlasting. A couple more slides. The Seventh-day Adventists accept the Bible as their only creed and hold certain fundamental beliefs to be the teaching of the Holy Scripture. So our only basis... So there's a difference between something that's inspired 
all of you can be inspired. I am inspired every time I stand up here and I write a sermon or we preach a sermon or we do a Bible study. That's inspired. That is God-breathed. God is continually breathing into us. So that's inspiration. But then there's something called authoritative or authority. What I say doesn't necessarily mean it's authoritative in how you live your life. So my voice should never be authoritative. The Bible and the Bible alone should be authoritative in your life. And that has always been the stance of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, the Bible and the Bible alone. I think this is the last slide on this. We have written this book with a deep conviction that all doctrines, when properly understood, center on him, meaning Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life, and they are all extremely important. Amen? Are you following me so far? Because remember, the first question we're answering is, what, what do we mean when we use the word fundamentals or fundamental beliefs? What is their purpose? Who wrote them? Who wrote them? There have been about four different groups of statements that have been made over the last 160 years. And each time, they have to be voted by what is called like the General Conference and Business Meeting. Just a boring way of saying there's a group of people that, get to that, that have to vote on this, and they all have to vote. Um, and so it's a committee of people who have studied this, who have worked on this. It's uh, some of our best scholars have been on this, and they have worked together to try to find language that everybody can agree on and make sense on. So what are they? There are beliefs. What is their, who wrote them? Committees of people. What is their purpose? To try to help us to understand who God is and who we are in relation to God. So that's the first question, what we mean by fundamentals. Are you still tracking? All right. Now, let's get to what the Bible says about salvation. Actually, let me step back. There's a word I want to say before we get to the actual Bible, because I have a sense that um, whoever submitted this question, and I think others of us have this similar question, that the question really is more of, what if I don't fully accept the 28 fundamental beliefs? Or what if I don't fully live up to all of the beliefs of the Seventh-day Adventist Church? What if I have a problem with a few of them? What if I don't live up to all of the rules and regulations that, that we feel are, tell, are being told to us through these beliefs? I think that's the real question, and I think that's a question all of us have to answer. Um, because we all have a different criteria by which we determine whether we are a faithful follower of Christ or not a faithful follower of Christ. And I think what's important is that um, the real question that is being asked is, what if I don't? accept it all does that mean that my salvation is in jeopardy is that a powerful question what if i'm not a good seventh-day adventist what if i'm a bad adventist what if i like to drink caffeinated coffee instead of decaf what if i like to eat chicken because i don't really like the way soy meat tastes what if my car is running out of gas and I have to get home and it happens to be the Sabbath and I have to make a choice whether I'm going to risk it or whether I stop and put gas? Does that make me a bad Ventist? Those are the questions. What happens if Little Caesars accidentally gives me a pepperoni pizza <laughs> and I don't realize till I get home, but I take the pepperoni off of it? Does that make me a bad Ventist? It's funny, but it's true. That's what we do with our faith. What ends up happening with faith, instead of it being a growing, loving relationship with Christ, 
it ends up being a sin management system. Now, the difference between that, a growing, loving relationship is a relationship that gives us life, that gives us, that helps us to flourish. A good relationship is one that just makes everything better. But the difference between that and what I would call and what Dallas Willard, the late Dallas Willard would write, is that what Christianity and faith has become is just a sin management system, which means I have to stay away from this, 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 and this, but these things are approved. So as long as I'm doing this set of things, I'm okay. But the moment I start doing whatever these things are, then all of a sudden our salvation is in jeopardy. And that's what Christianity has become. And I think that over the years, we have lost this dynamic relationship with Christ. And I think what is important for us is to continually remember that whenever we come to Scripture, it is always pointing to Christ. It's not just about salvation. The Bible is clear that eternal life happens the moment that you have that relationship with Christ. The eternal now, that, that, that sense, that deepness of this eternal feeling is a part of what we experience now. And that's available to all of you. It's what Dominic is ha- just did a few minutes ago when he is baptized. The Bible says that as you are baptized in the water, you are buried in the death of Christ. And as you come out of the water you are actually being resurrected into a new kind of life. A lot of you have been baptized. My question is, are you living into the newness that the life, of the life that God has created for you? So now let's look at what salvation is and how do we get it. In Romans chapter 5, it says, Therefore, since we are justified by faith, or we are made right by our belief in Jesus, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand, and we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. We are justified. We are made right. We are forgiven. All of your mistakes, all of your sins, all of the shame that you carry, there is no need to carry that because Jesus has forgiven you and he has justified you when you accept that Jesus is who he is. And it says that we have peace with God. So my question that I would ask you, and I'm not asking you to raise your hand, is how many of you feel like you are at peace with God? You guys have heard my story. Um, you guys have heard that as a child, I, there was no peace. It was just a God of wrath. And I think in a lot of ways, when we try to justify, like when we try to be better people, when we say things like, I'm just trying to be a better person or a better Christian, I just need to get rid of this sin and this sin, what we're trying to do is justify ourselves, but we have already been justified And it is in the person of Jesus that peace has been given to us. And so now God has judged. The the, the God who can judge you is no longer judging you because there is peace that has been made. On Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection, what we find is that we are made, in essence, new. We go back to this Garden of Eden experience where, in essence, we're perfect in the eyes of God. How many of you have had children or have been in relationships and the other person or your kids, they're not perfect, but all you see in them is perfection. That's what love does. When you love somebody, you look past their imperfections and all you see is beauty and the fullness of life and perfection. That's how God sees you. God doesn't see you for how you see yourself in the mirror. 
God sees you, what he sees in you is Christ and Christ crucified, and you have been made whole. It's not just in the future. If the Bible was just about the future, then it wouldn't have anything to say for us today. But the truth is, is that the Bible has a ton of things to say for us about how we can experience the fullness of life here and now. In the midst of turmoil, in the midst of disease, in the midst of sickness, in the midst of trial, in the midst of temptation, in the midst of the most horrible thing that could ever happen to you, the Bible has something to say about how we can have peace. So there's like five more verses. Are we still good? If this sounds like I'm repeating myself, it's because this is what salvation is, and this is what grace is. And I have a sense that I will be preaching the same sermon in some way or another for the rest of my life. Because I have been called to preach the good news of salvation and the good news of Christ. So I hope, if I sound like a broken record, you'll understand why. The Bible says that for a while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for who? The people that have minimized their sins to a certain percentage of their lives? No. Does it say that, God, that Christ died for those who have it almost all together? Does it say that Christ died for Seventh-day Adventists? No, because we didn't exist until 160 years ago. No, it says that while we were still, another, another passage says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for you. I love that. That's a great message. I'm a sinner. That's a message we hear in rap songs all the time. I know. I don't listen to them. I just read about them. One of the things that I've actually been hearing in some of this is, I'm a sinner, and only God can judge me. And what we find in the scripture, what the rappers are singing about in 2013, is what has been true for thousands of years. That we are all sinners, and yet at the same time, the Bible calls you saints, calls you a new creation, It says that you're living in the fullness of life. And if you don't feel that way or aren't living that way, then I I encourage you to reassess what your faith is in. Because if your faith is in Jesus, all of that shame, all of that guilt just falls away. While you were ungodly, Christ died for you. And that death gives you forgiveness and eternal life. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Now, if you're a guest, if you're new to Christianity, I understand this language sounds weird. Why does somebody have to die in order for me to live? That's a conversation I can't fully get into right now. Um, but I can, I, can, I can understand why it may sound kind of odd or weird. So we're with you on that, and um, I'd love to talk to you about it afterwards um, in more in depth. But it says, while we were still enemies or sinners, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Now, much more surely, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life. But more than that, we even boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. What tense does that give us now, today, yesterday, tomorrow? Notice he's not saying we will receive reconciliation. It's we have received reconciliation. In essence, what he's saying is Jesus is in your corner and he has your back. 
And you know that if you're going through something in life, if you know that you have at least one person or a group of people who will support you and who will bear that burden with you, whatever it is, you know you can handle anything, right? Jesus, God, is that constant person who always has your back. You have been reconciled now. We ourselves, now this is Paul writing, okay? So he's saying, we are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Again, I have to talk about that in another time. That sounds awfully exclusive and bad, but he goes on to say, Yet we know that a person is justified not by the works of the law. You can insert 28 fundamental beliefs in there. But through faith in Jesus Christ. So you are justified by what? By how good you are? By what your checklist looks like? By how much money you give to the church? By how much tithe you give? Which, by the way, we're never going to turn away. Because it helps us to do ministry. It doesn't, it doesn't go to me. This must be clear. <laughs> no, it says that you are justified, not by the things that you do, not by the things that make you feel like a better Christian, but you are justified because of what Jesus has done. But whenever you try to be better so that you can somehow earn this salvation, what you're actually telling Jesus is that his, his sacrifice, his death, wasn't enough to cover your sins. I don't know about you, but I don't want to tell that to Jesus. I, I, I don't know what it's like to lose somebody that is close to you as in death, but I can only imagine what it would feel like for a father to lose his firstborn or his son or daughter. That is the cost that God was willing to pay that you might live in the fullness of life. That was costly to God. So whenever you try to somehow become a better Christian or a better Seventh-day Adventist, make sure you're doing it out of love and thanksgiving rather than so you can feel like you deserve to be saved. And we have come to believe in Jesus Christ so that we might be justified by faith in Christ, not by doing the works of the law, because no one will be justified by the works of the law. Thank God for that. I wish, there had, I wish they had exclamation points in the first century because I would have put like 20 of them. Thank God I am not going to be saved by how good I can be because then we're all in trouble. Grace is free. It's like winning the lottery, kind of, because it wasn't by chance, but it's like you win something that you don't necessarily deserve or have earned. There might be one final passage. God's love was revealed among us in this way, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. That's another Bible term, right? Religious term, atoning. Think of breaking it up and think of it as at one meant with God. We are made one with Christ. We are somehow, some way, in God's cosmic grace, you are made one with Christ. And I think there is one more. Can I keep going for a little bit? God abides in those, God is with those who confess that Jesus is the Son of God and they abide in God. That seems pretty simple, huh? If you confess the name of Christ, God is with you. 
Seems pretty simple, huh? Amen. <laughs> Remember, everybody, I'm a Hispanic preacher. I like some feedback. That's good. That's amazing. That's the good news. God doesn't say, look, if you do this, 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 and this, then I'm going to be with you. Or if, you're, if you do all these things, then I'll be with you more than if you only do a few of these things. It's that one thing growing up where, here's a joke. Can I give you guys a joke? Here you go. Where is the safest place in the world? If you're a guest, you're not going to get this, but it's outside a movie theater. Because your guardian angel has to wait for you outside until the movie's over. (laughs) False. (laughs) I don't think it works like that. I've been in a movie theater when there was a big earthquake. And I'm still here. I'm not, just understand what I'm saying. Don't read too much into it. I don't want to get emails later. Bad pastor. It was a nature movie, I don't know. God is ever. This is God's world. Do you think there's anywhere God isn't going to be to rescue and to save his children? It's in the Bible that if, if the shepherd has 99 sheep and one goes missing, what does the shepherd do? He goes and seeks out the one that is lost, and he will dig it out of a ditch, even on the Sabbath, Amen. so that that one person will be saved. I don't think God has any rules as to where he will and won't go. That's Jesus' words. God hasn't forgotten about you. He hasn't forgotten about the people you are praying for. Those who confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God is with you. Maybe it's time for us to make that confession again every single day. Hang on. Is that the last one? I don't know. Yep, that's the last one. So there's two more that I have on my, on my paper here. It says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. There is no fear in love. And then it ends with the same thing. Everyone who confesses the Son has the Father also. So to summarize everything in the next 30 seconds, are the fundamentals important to my salvation? Well, the answer is, because some of them talk about Jesus as the Son of God, so... They're important so long as they help us to understand who Jesus is. But as we've seen from Scripture, that what gives you salvation isn't any set of beliefs or any set of actions or any set of works, because no one will ever live up to that. I'm not being a liberal Seventh-day Adventist pastor because I live in, in Southern California, okay? I would preach this message for as long as I could anywhere else. There's nothing you can do to earn God's salvation, It doesn't mean you don't try to be a good person. Yes, do everything that you do to give honor and glory to God. The Bible is clear. Do everything, even that job that you hate, do it as though you were doing it unto God. This isn't like, hey, do whatever you want, be bad. No, you've missed the message too if that's what you think. But there's nothing you can do and there's not enough good you can do That'll ever grant you salvation. So are the fundamentals important? They're important to help us to understand what we believe about the Bible. They're important for us as they point to Jesus as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. They're important so long as they show us who Jesus is. But salvation is from Jesus and Jesus alone. 
Our 28 fundamental beliefs are not a creed. So if you don't accept all of them, you can still be a Seventh-day Adventist. Except we'll call you a Seventh-day Badventist. <laughs> That's a joke. Is there freedom to believe and not believe in this church? Absolutely. Because we're a church that believes in grace and preaches grace. And if that's true, then we welcome anyone and everyone, no matter what walk of life, no matter what they believe, no matter how they look, no matter anything, they are welcome in this place of worship because in heaven, everyone will be welcome. And we are all the same, even me. I'm not higher on the totem pole of holiness. I'm just like one of you, daily struggling to surrender my life to Christ the best possible way I can. The only difference is you get to look at me and judge me more. (laughs) I'm okay with that. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you that we can not only read scripture, but in the same sentence also laugh with joy, knowing that you have forgiven even the worst of our sins. So God, we pray that we would not waste this grace. We pray that we would not Um, I don't know, that that we wouldn't let it go to waste in the sense that we would just live a life that does dishonor to you. So we pray that as we come to a deeper understanding of you, Lord, that as you continue this work inside each one of us, that we would always bring honor and glory to you in all that we do. We are thankful for this house of worship. We are thankful that you have been present here. We are thankful that you will follow us no matter where we go. We are thankful for your grace. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.